Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey toward success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Plugged In Podcast. I am Ellie Mandelbaum, an industry veteran who decided to do more than just listen to podcasts, but actually start one, in which I interview people much smarter than me. In this episode, we are speaking with Yali Saar, CEO and co-founder of Taylor Brands, the world's first automated branding company. Taylor Brands is revolutionizing the brand services industry by teaching computers how to design logos, write copy, and even plan strategy. They serve over 6 million businesses across the world and recently closed another $20 million in funding. I think that's right. We'll get that later in the interview. Uh, Yali, welcome to the show. Let's start with a more detailed background of you, who you are, you know, how do you get started in this, and we'll take it from there. So, hey, and uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Our last round was $15 million. Overall, we raised $21 million to date, uh, and we actually have already uh, over $9 million businesses using the platform uh, and it's scaling from month to month which is which is beautiful to see I started off from a little bit of a different background I started out here in Israel as an actor uh, I was doing television theater and really you know that was the whole start of my career I moved from there um, to journalism did some political spokespersoning afterwards then moved to New York uh, studied there at Columbia University opened up a nonprofit called uh, Raising the Bar, which kind of focused on rebranding education and bringing more people to kind of consume education on a, on a daily basis. And from here to there, that kind of led us eventually to Taylor Brands, which we opened up four years ago. Wow. So that, that's, a, that's a, a lot to take in. Uh, so let's, let's start with your first job um, as an actor. I mean, you know, did you want to do that growing up? You know, that'll be a later question, but we can answer it now. Um, you know, that's not, you don't really hear a lot of people going from the acting world to the technology world. I, I, you know, Ashton Kutcher goes from the acting world to the tech world, but not the other way around. So um, I never actually wanted to be an actor. I started out kind of as a child actor. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, I was trying to find like a major in school and I got accepted to two different classes. One was uh, film and the other was, uh, was, was acting. And I kind of, you know, threw a coin and eventually went to acting. <laughs> One thing led to another. I met um, a producer in the street and she brought me into um, Lesson, which is uh, one of the bigger uh, theaters here in Israel. Um, so... I kind of found myself in there and, you know, it's it's something that is really nice to do growing up because you get, you know, A, you have a fixed income, which is uh, amazing when you're 13. Um, but, you know, f- you know, I found myself at 21, 22, still acting and it was going well, but I had to ask myself, you know, there were a lot of people around me that worked a lot to get into that industry. And I never really knew if this is what I wanted to do. So I said, you know, this is the time to stop and, you know, try other things. 
And um, I, I actually took a lot from acting to what I do now, but I, you know, it wasn't that I was focused on technology either. I just, um, you know, I started working with Tom and Adav, which were my two co-founders, mm-hmm. um, and we knew we wanted to do something together. Nadav comes from a technology background. Tom comes from a design background. And I just wanted to work with them. And we started working on three different ideas. And eventually one of them was Taylor. Um, and that's how I find myself in, in tech startups. Wow. So, okay. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, um, what, what, you know, as an actor, you know, did you learn anything from, the, you know, that, you know, your, you know the, the job that stayed with you till today? Yeah, I, I think a few things. Um, you know, a there are kind of the um, obvious things, right? It's um, being an entre- entrepreneur has a lot of presentation in it. Um, you have to raise funds. Um, you have to, you know, fire up uh, the people to uh, to kind of deliver the vision uh, that you have in mind and. A lot about learning how to act and acting is about that, is understanding how to get certain emotions out of people, how to deliver a message in a certain way. And that's kind of the obvious things. Um, But I think the the less obvious, um, and this is kind of the difference, you know, I see a lot of people that like acting and I always ask them, you know, you like acting or would you like being an actor? Being an actor is, is, is a profession and it's completely different, not just about the acting. And one of the biggest things you encounter as an actor is auditions. And auditions are, you know, largely around getting no as an answer. You probably go to 100 auditions, you get 99 no's, you get one yes. Um, and raising funds, and this is something that I see a lot also with, you know, people and entrepreneurs that, you know, starting out and we're trying to help them. And one of the biggest frustrations I'm seeing is people that are saying, you know, I went to six meetings and, you know, all of the VCs told me, no, and I can't pursue my, my idea. And we're always like, you only went to six meetings. Um, you know, it's I think when we did our first round, we probably went to 100 um, and, you know, you get a lot of no's before you get the first yes and then another yes. But it's not a game of statistics. It's a binary game. You only need one yes in order to succeed. So getting through those no's is something that I learned as an actor. That, uh, that's very true. I mean, you know, the one thing I think every entrepreneur and founder could definitely, uh, you know, appreciate is the, the no. I mean, you get a lot of them. And the worst, the worst I think, is when a VC says, they don't give you no. They'll say, it's interesting, but come back with a little bit more traction. Right? Come back to me when you're a little bit more. I'm just like, just say the no, get it out of the way, and that's it. But don't string me along. Don't give me a little bit of hope and say, you know what? Come to me in like six months when you have a little bit more customers, a little bit more revenue, and then we'll all of a sudden give you something. But, but you, know, you know, about that point, and I love the fact that you bring that up because there is a big difference, I think, between Israeli mentality and American mentality. And what you just described just seems to me as an American no. Uh, and, um, you know, I think one of the one of the things that Israeli entrepreneurs need or, you know, find out when they start raising funds in the U.S. is that when somebody says, 
Hmm, that's really interesting. Let me take a look at it. It basically means no, <laughs> um, and you should move on. <laughs> exactly, and that's that's the one thing you know. I think I think you know any any entrepreneur or founder that's really listening to this. Understand that, right? Don't waste your time. Your time is precious. Your time equals money. Even if you're not generating, but in theory, it equals money. And if you spend your time on just, you know, going to these meetings and saying, you know, and just hearing that, it's just a waste. Yeah, no, it's, I, I don't know if it's a waste because it's good to hear the nose and it's good to get the feedback. You know, eventually people that you're going to meet, they're also spending some of that time and their time is as precious as yours and they're giving you feedback i think that the thing is appreciate the fact that they were they were not trying to kind of pull you by the nose they were trying to be polite so you might take in that feedback and continue on and you know even if it's not them that they're going to invest you're going to go back to a different meeting and you're going to be a little bit more prepared Thanks to them. No, that's a good point. I, I definitely, I could definitely, I definitely recognize that part to it. And, you're, and you are right. So, um, I mean, moving on. So, I, you know, as an actor, would you consider yourself a creative person? Is that what you brought to the, you know, the the, the, the to your co-founders that that aspect of creativity? So, I think Tom and myself both come from creative backgrounds, different creative backgrounds. Um, Tom comes from a design background. He went to Parsons. He's a graphic designer. And that's a lot of what we do here at Taylor Brands. Um, the creative aspect that I bring in, brought into the table, I don't know. It comes a little bit from the acting, but also from the journalism and the creative side of, of marketing, which I also did quite a bit. And it's a different sort of way. What we what we try to kind of inspire into people working at Taylor Brands is what we call creative thinking. And creative thinking is not, you know, a specific profession. It's how you kind of try and break every problem that you have and try and find a different solution. Um, I think that, you know, any any sort of managerial task really or any hard problem really requires that sort of creative thinking and there's actually an amazing book by ideo which uh talks specifically about that so yeah i I consider myself a creative person but not because i can draw or i can write it's more it's more you you know the thinking outside of the got it and you know so you know so you you start you went to columbia and then you were a chief creative officer um, and then you did raising the bar. So, how did the nonprofit world really impact you? And wh- why did you give? And I'm actually doing a, a dinner uh, next week for on that topic of charitable giving. And one of the things people don't realize is you could be a you know a philanthropist without giving away money. Right? You could give away your time and and create something that's meaningful. So, what made you decide at a young age to really say, okay, I want to do this for a while? So. I don't know if I ever thought about it as philanthropic. Um, I just thought about something that I thought was worth doing. Um, And, you know, I was going to school at that time. And I remember myself um, just, you know, going out at night and I got bored. And I got bored with the conversations that, you know, we were having in bars and I wanted to bring something more interesting to the table. And I just, you know, the the whole idea came from, you know, let's try and bring 
creative conversations and let's try and bring, you know, Joseph Stiglitz, who's a Nobel Prize leader in economics, to talk a little bit about his research instead of, you know, us watching a game uh, <laughs> um, in a bar. And it kind of took its own, you know, it, its, its own kind of creative growth when we started talking to universities and, you know, we were working with Columbia and NYU. And, and today, I think the city of Melbourne is actually sponsoring Raising the Bar there. Um, and they saw an issue that was a little bit different. And the issue that they were seeing was that a lot of people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds don't really go and try to get accepted to higher degrees because, you know, they don't know the right person, because they don't think they're a right fit. And suddenly creating this place of informal interaction between, you know, uh, uh, educational rock stars um, and anybody was something that started to happen. We had events of 10,000 people in one night, you know, happening all over Manhattan. And suddenly we had universities reaching out to us saying, you know, can we also do it in our cities? And finally, we found ourselves, you know, in New York, San Francisco, Hong Kong, Sydney, um, Canada, uh, London. And, you know, it created its own thing. Um, I mean, but that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, you were, how old were you at the time? Probably like uh, 20. Three, yeah, so, 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 yeah. You, I mean, so to build a, a, a nonprofit, correct? Yeah. So build a nonprofit that reached that far and wide is is pretty cool. I mean, that, that's a heck of a ride. Um, yeah, it was, you know, but I, I think, and I always, I, I just had a conversation about it actually yesterday when somebody was asking me, you know, where do you want to be in a year from now? And really needed to kind of scratch my head because I can tell you where I, where the company needs to be and where, you know, certain departments in the company need to be. But for me, I'm always focused on the now. I'm always focused about the fact that I really enjoy doing what I do. I told somebody, you know, somebody asked me, what were you doing the weekend? I was like, I was in the office and he was like, oh no, it's something bad happened. I was like, no, I just had some extra time and I really wanted to work in something that I had in my head. <laughs> people don't really, I, I think that's the thing I think people don't really realize. When you're a founder, there's no, it, it, the, 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 it, it blends into each other. Work and life, you, you really are enjoying what you're doing and it kind of takes over a lot. And, you know, your employees don't realize that it's fun. That you view it as fun. You view it as a challenge. You view it as something that, you know, you want to accomplish. It's not really work per se. It's more like a passion, right? And, and that's something that I think, you know, that's what really drives a lot of founders to success is that, you know, that that drive of, you know what, I have an idea. It's like a baby of mine. I want to see work. I want to give as much time to it as I need and build it. Um, so with that part, you know, so, you know, uh, you know, after, you know, raising the bar, you know, how do you know you want to really build something more? Right. I, I, I see that you built a really, you know, in two years, a pretty impressive, you know, nonprofit, right. That really had a, a good impact. You know, but from there, how do you want to know you want to build something more than that? So I, I think, you know, in the same in the same kind of process I described so far, it was never it was never, uh, you know, a clear intent. Um, I think we were 
Raising the Bar kind of started having a life of its own, and we didn't need to kind of pursue funding every every X amount of months because people were starting to kind of bring funding to us. And Tom and myself started thinking about, you know, cool ideas. You met the, you met the, you met the two of them at Raising the Bar? No, so I know Tom from probably when we were... 15 okay. um, and when we moved to New York when I moved to New York then he said yeah I'll move to and I was like yeah my best friend is coming too <laughs> um, and uh, Nadav met Tom through the army um, they were both in intelligence and then um, I think right around that time of, of raising the bar um, Nadav was just finishing up Uh, the work he did at AppCard. Nadav, so Nadav went uh, studied physics, then he worked for Jaja till he got sold to Telefonica, and then uh, he worked for AppCard. And right around that time, he was finishing work at AppCard. Um, Tom was just finishing a design, a big design project he was working on. Um, and we always wanted that we, we always knew that we wanted to do something together, but we never had like the right time. We're all like involved in different yeah. projects. And they were like, wait, so let's work together. And we looked at each other and we're like, but we have no idea what we wanted to work on. <laughs> and we're like, okay. Um, so we, we, rented, we rented an apartment together, which was really like the worst apartment ever. We could have reached, you know, there was a, the JMZ kind of like was just outside of our window, but it was like where it goes above ground so we could actually kind of touch. The, it, was, it was bad. Um, and uh, we just started going, you know, every morning we woke up and we started kind of creating ideas. And I think we, we created like six or seven ideas. Three of them we already created partnerships around. And then at one point we realized that we actually set up three working businesses and we're like um okay so what's next um and you know that's that's uh that's how we decided to start Taylor. got it oh so that's, that's actually a pretty cool story <laughs> um so you you know how hard was it to raise you know you started up when did you raise your first round your seed round um so we raised our first round in 2015 okay And, and was it challenging? Was it, you know, you, I think you said you went through like a hundred meetings, you know. So I, I think that the, the interesting part is when we, and it's funny, a lot of the times when we go and ask for advices to stuff, um, somebody says, you know, and we ask, you know, how do you do X in your company? And, you know, we, we consult with a corporate And that corporate says, of course. So we bring it to our innovation department and our innovation department brings it to our sales department. We're like, but we don't have nor an innovation or a sales department. Um, and I think this, it, it was roughly the same sort of advice as I got when we started raising. Every, everyone said, you know, raising funds, you have to know the people. You have to find like the, the, the right way to get to them. You have to do it like a sniper. And I was like, we, the three of us, have no connections whatsoever in this industry. <laughs> I have no idea what to do. So I called email. And I know it's the worst way to do it, but it's the only way we had. Which, which isn't bad. I mean, I remember, I think, one of my startups, I, I did a few that never really went anywhere. But I just must have been emailing a ton. 
And a lot of them were great. I mean, they were really nice. They got back to me, you know, and I built friendships over it. You know, I, I maintain connections. I follow them on Twitter. You see what's going on. And they're always, I mean, those are the ones that are really, you know, able to give advice. Even if they, and there are not many out there that will do that, that will take some of their time and, and speak to you, have a phone call, you know, listen, and tell you what, you, you know, needs to happen. Not that there's there's no hint of funding, but at least it's going to be constructive in that sense. Um, did you guys come back digital to, to start or you started in the U.S.? Uh, no, we, we, we started in Israel. We okay, in so, Israel. so you came back after university? Yeah, we came back after. So we were starting there. Then uh, we went back here. Uh, we started it uh, here. Um, and um, then um, at one point we, um, we we moved back with the funding to the States and we opened up uh, the company there um, after, uh, you know, and, and, and then we, we built it for a while there. Um, and suddenly we found ourselves in New York. Um, you know, working there, the company was there. Um, but we really didn't. And I think it was just about after our second round at that point, And we really didn't understand why we were in New York. You know, it's expensive. Um, but we heard about the fact that, you know, you need to be in New York, you need to be in San Francisco. But we realized, you know, we were doing a B2C business. It doesn't really matter where, you know, nor our engineering is, but also not, you know, where our, our uh, marketing team is. Um, and uh, that's when we, we opened up the Israeli office um, and uh, we started kind of growing the Israeli office as well because we realized that, you know, we can do both and we can always be on the line. Uh, but it gave us a chance to also bring back to the community here. Uh, I really do think that, you know, Tel Aviv and Israel needs more B2C startups. Yeah, I, I hear that. It's good that you're back here. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, I, I moved here four years ago as well. Um, so I'm always, you know, always happy to hear companies staying here. Um, so, you, you know, the second round that you recently raised, differences, right? So your first round was really difficult, but, you know, you raised 15 million, which is not a... Three rounds you raised. Oh, okay, so you raised one round. Then the second round was how much? Uh, four million dollars. Four million. Okay, and that was even easier than the first time. So the first one million was very hard. The second four million was easier. Then the last fifteen was um, was easier. And I think it's a few things happened. A, we got smarter. Uh, B we had a working business and not just an idea yeah, traction. Uh, traction and, and you know, it, it was easier to show. Um, and people already like people were starting to come to us, um, at that point, which made it a lot easier. Also in the first, you know, in the first round, it was hard. We were the first company to ever say that you can incorporate this idea of, you know, um, creativity automation so when we said we're going to design logos um using you know using ai i i just remember a lot of people said mm -hmm. yeah never going to happen nobody's <laughs> ever going to buy logos that machine made and suddenly you know today taylor is onboarding half a million new businesses every month half uh, a million yeah so when you look at that, you 
you understand that, you know, and this goes back to what I was saying about getting no's. People are going to say no. People are going to say that your dream might not happen. And they might be right. Um, but sometimes the difference between stupidity and, and you know, and, and craziness um, is, is, is thin. And I'm happy we were crazy enough to, uh, to kind of go at it. No, I, I, I agree with that. So how are you helping companies, right? So, you know, let's talk a little bit about Taylor now. So, you know, someone's coming to you. They have no concept, right? They don't want to spend a designer. They don't even know a designer. But, you know, walk me through that, you know, because I'm sure, you, again, you're onboarding. And early on, you must have really seen, it was probably a slower trickle than you have now. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, I think you go beyond just the branding. Right? It's not just a brand, but you're doing a lot more than just, okay, here's a logo. Right? There, what, what else do you guys do for the companies? And, and could you give me a couple examples of companies that, you, you, that like, success stories? So, you know, we... Because it's a it's an automated platform, I don't give out never names of, okay. of the companies yeah. using us. I can tell you that uh, we we've seen coffee shops that started using us when they were four people, and I've seen uh, I see them growing to 120. Oh wow! Uh, and I've seen you know small makers that have been using the platform when they couldn't you know get funding from the bank to start their business and suddenly you know today seeing a business of 10 people from a guy in alaska that couldn't you know raise uh couldn't get like the loan is 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 incredibly satisfying um so we started out with the logo um and you know when we started out with taylor the whole idea was really creating an algorithm that could be creative um, we didn't think about creating a local design platform. We just thought about we want to create an algorithm that could imitate, you know, the creative process that goes in through our heads. Mm-hmm. And we worked with um, um, with a couple of companies back then, um, and the idea was really kind of incorporating it in their backbone, so they don't need to use templates uh, because the whole essence of Taylor is not using templates it can design in real time and then one of them tried to uh kind of aqua hire us at the time and we really didn't want to be aqua hire yeah um so we started out this logo design platform and we started out this logo design platform and said okay we're going to use logos and that's it people are going to you know use that and we can focus back on the technology. And suddenly those companies started coming back to us and saying, you know, but you created the logo. Can you also help me with the business card and the merchandise and, you know, the social media management. And suddenly we looked at the ecosystem and we realized that you basically have WPP, IPG, Omnicom and Publicis. Those are the big four advertising companies. Mm -hmm. They own roughly like 90% of the agencies, but they only service 10% of the market. (laughs) Um, and we started playing around with the idea of using Taylor to do everything that, you know, WPP does for Coca-Cola, but for a small business. Um, so it starts out with a logo. You come to taylorbrands.com and you design a logo. And then it would ask you a couple of additional questions and it would create, you know, the materials that you need around it. So business cards, presentations, really any sort of merchandise that you can really think of. And then it would ask a couple of additional questions. It would say, okay, do you, you know, where do you interact with your customers? Do you have a social page? 
and it would set up a social pitch for you. And then Taylor would also say, okay, you know, what are your customers actually like? And it would start creating a media, uh, a social media strategy. It would actually, you know, write, design, and source content for your posts. Um, and it continues on expanding to brand strategy now and a couple of other things that I'm not going to, <laughs> to, share, to share at the moment. But the idea is really a design marketing and branding platform in your pocket. You can design really everything on Taylor Brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next stage, and it could automate your social media management. The next stage is really understanding how we kind of take everything that you need to do as part of setting up a business and put it all in one place. Oh, that is that, that's ambitious, and definitely it, it, it didn't start that way. Which is, you know, okay, but that's evolving. That's the evolution of, of building a company. And to that point, how you know scaling, right? You know, it, it's it's not easy. It's not easy finding talent. I know you have a few positions open now that I, I pushed out. Thank you. But <laughs> but but how do you scale, right? I mean, you know, you you raised a, a really significant round. Um, you're, you're in a sense in the big leagues now, right? You 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 grew out of the minors for a baseball reference. Um, you, you're in the majors with with that type of funding, um, and you you have to grow pretty rapidly. I mean, that's the name of the game here. Um, so, how are you scaling in terms of size of the company? I'm not talking about the market. I mean, mm-hmm. five hundred thousand onboarding monthly. I mean, that's a that's a that's that's a solid number. And I'm sure that will probably even increase by you know month to month. It increases, and probably Q2 you'll even have a, a bigger. And I'll get to the marketing aspect in a second. But again, scaling the company internally. So I think one of the things that we believe here in Taylor is creating the infrastructure before you actually scale. Um, a lot of the times what we saw with a lot of other companies um, is that, you know, they grew and then they kind of, you know, lost their identity. They lost their company culture. Um, they lost a the thing that was really pushing them forward. And what we promise to ourselves is, yes, we have open positions. We always have open positions, but we never try to fill them in order to get to a quota. Um, we always remember, you know, what are the values that we have in place for each person that comes in. We also, you know, even if I want to bring in 20 additional engineers now, we're not going to kind of force feed ourselves to people that are not either, you know, either good for us or we would be good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important that it's important to understand that fit comes from both sides, right? Um, we don't, we never oversell ourselves um, to potential candidates because we want the right people to be here. When I was talking earlier about the me being here at Saturdays, you know, sometimes I find myself coming to pick something up from the office at 11 p.m. And I find someone here and I'm, I, we always, because we have this mentality, it's like, what are you doing here? Please go home. <laughs> and, you know, he or she are like, no, no, I, I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to finish this. I really want to finish this. Yeah. And it's not because anybody gave them, you know, a, a deadline. It's because they're passionate about what they're doing. Um, so um, we... We created, I think we had, you know, standardized onboardings when we were three people. Um, And it's important to us that every person, you know, first 
you know, fits in and only then we bring in another piece of the puzzle. We rather have a hole in the team than somebody that doesn't really fit in. Got that. And that actually goes to my company culture question, which you just answered. Um, and that's, and that's a, a pretty good way to building the company, company culture. Um, you know, uh, you know, what about retaining? I mean, you know, are you seeing, are, do you have things in place to keep employees happy? You know, because again, that's part of the culture as well. Is there, lo- you know, you know, loyalty is something that is not easily earned. I think that we only had two people ever leaving Taylor Brands. Uh, and, and that's from 2015 to now. So that's yeah, about four, almost four I, years. Yeah. Not a lot of people decided um, to leave the company. Um, and, you know, that's something that we hold very dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you have to understand that you are building more than just a workplace. There's something I like about the word company. And it's also in Hebrew, it's called chivra. Mm-hmm. And, and both of those words are, you know, it's a corporate company, but company is also the company you keep. Right, yeah. and Chavai is also the society so, yeah, so, around so. you, um, and if you're building the right society, then people are going to stay. Um, if you try and get people to stay by increasing comp and just you know offering more and more perks, yeah, it's 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 nice. You're going to get them in the door, <laughs> but there's always going to be someone bigger. Mm-hmm. There's always someone with deeper pockets. Um, so. It's something that, you know, we make sure that we get the retention back in the conversion. So when we convert somebody, we make sure that we convert him for the right reason. And that's that's the way that we make sure that the retention actually happens afterwards. That's interesting. All right. So now we're going to move on to you know, your growth. Right. So the marketing. So when you first started out, you know, how do you guys get your first clients Right. Do you knock on doors? Did you do a paper, you know, a PPC campaign? You know, did you just say, uh, send that to your network and say, okay, guys, we're open for business. Send us what you need. We'll get it done. So we launched, uh, um, we, we knew that we were going to launch Taylor um, at a certain date. Um, and, you know, we had to figure out what are our strong suits. And our strong suits back then were not, you know, paid marketing. It was not, you know, growth hacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't come from, from a tech background, but I did have background in journalism and I did have a uh, background in spokespersoning. Mm-hmm. And what we did was outreaching to publications and understanding how to deliver the message. And I think that probably on the day that, and, and you know, getting us, I think, on TechCrunch Disrupt the day that we launched Taylor Brands. And um, and part of the idea was that we need to get enough people in the system that they would start telling us what's good and what's bad about the platform itself. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got our first batch of people. And again, it was about understanding how to create the right messaging, finding the right people and emailing them. That's it. Um, afterwards, we tried, you know, we tried everything. Um, and I think the second, the second kind of jump we had was through understanding marketing and understanding how to do organic and paid acquisition well. Um, and it's really about, you know, 
there is something uh, magical about you saying, yeah, we, we get all of these people, um, but, you know, it's all organic growth <laughs> and we don't acquisition any of them. And that's great, but it's also very problematic because it means that you, you know, you don't really know how to acquisition users. Um, and if you manage to kind of solve the acquisition route and you have a stable user formula saying, you know, I know how to pay X per client and get Y from a client. I think that's sustainable growth in the way I see it. And do you see a lot of your customers coming back to you? I mean, the retention rate. So today, you know, Taylor Rands is a subscription-based service. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I think that what we managed to solve was how do you, you know, create branding as a service. Did you start as a as, as subscription model? Or no, we, we, started as a, we started as a logo-selling platform exactly. that we only uh, sold logos. And exactly. then, uh, so, so, that, so take me through, that, that's the evolution, right? Because yeah. the sub-model is a great model. You love it. I mean, and ideally, you know, I worked for a company that was a sub-model that was a little, you know, it, it was all above bar, but it was just a really, it was like the CD time, right? You know? Get three CDs free, so, and in a month from now you sign it for ten dollars, and you pretty much you know your lifespan is the turn rate's like ten months. Then they wake up and say, "Oh my god, I just spent like a hundred bucks on nothing." So a sub model is great, you know, and, and the value from it. You see your your customers coming back to you again, and especially now with the model of you becoming more of an agency for the SMBs, which is something I think is great and something much needed. Um, you know, do you see them coming back a lot? Do you see them interacting with the platform? Yeah, so. When we started out, we uh, only had one package. It was Logo, uh, and it costed, I think, like maybe 50 bucks back then. Um, and then people were buying it like crazy, and we were like, okay, um, then we need to find, you know, and they're asking for a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Can we actually ask for, you know, a higher, higher tiered package? And that's when we added two additional packages. Um, did, did you do, did you, do customer, you know, um, like, did you do, uh, what's what I'm looking for? I'm actually... Um, customer research. Did you, right, exactly, the research part, but yeah. Did you did you speak to so many customers and, and figure it out? Or you just said, okay, I see it, we're going to just do it, and we'll just pick a price. So it took us a few a few good years to understand how to properly A-B test. Right. Um, and I think A-B test is a nice buzzword, and today everyone loves to say, you know, you should A-B test, you should use your research. It's very hard to use your research when you have 50, 60 clients, right? When you're at a scale of half a million uh, new businesses a month, it's, it's easy to A-B test because you have a scale for, for statistical significance. Mm-hmm. But back then, you know, the idea was, let's try. Let's try and see, see if it happens. I think that you should always kind of, especially at those stages, you should kind of optimize for what is the lowest cost on your end to test an idea that you have. And if it's good, then make it better. Um, and um, we created those three packages because we, th- we said maybe. Um, and the maybe became a yes. And then we started seeing people that are buying specific packages. Um, so one of the most important things uh, in my mind is um, to keep on trying. Uh, we did those three, we did the one package, then we did three packages, then we saw people that wanted specific items from different packages. So we started kind of bundling as an e-commerce service. Then people were starting to ask us, can you give this as a service? Because you're, you know, a lot of your things are services. I don't want to download a social post every time and yeah. pay an additional $3. Can you actually bundle it up? 
And we were like, this is perfect. We can actually focus on creating a better product rather than optimizing profit. Um, I think that retention at the end of the day, yes, you can have a lot of marketing points. You can understand how to optimize your cancellation funnel and optimize your onboarding. But at the end of the day, if it's a good product, people are not going to leave. It's a product that they don't actually need. They're going to leave. You know, see, when we look at, at you know, at the uh, at horrible, horrible service companies, okay? <laughs> like, you know, cellular companies are one of the worst service companies that you can imagine. But we keep on with them because we need the product. If you can create a product that people want, then yeah, give an amazing service, it would help. If you can't create a product that people actually need, you're going to have a hard time retaining them regardless. Very cool. So we're going to, we're going to wind down in, in, in you know, the next few minutes. Um, so one of the things I'm I, 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 curious about is, did you have a mentor or did you rely on your, your co-founders more? Because you're such good friends. Did you rely on each other or did you have a mentor that helped you through some of the issues or challenges? I had a lot of mentors. Uh, I also rely on my, on, on my co-founders quite a bit. I think, um, but I don't think I've ever had like a mentor in the in the official sense okay. of the way. Um, my 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 investors are are, are great, um, and and every person I met, there's a nice sentence in Hebrew that I can't really translate, sure. but it's uh, it's from from I I have gained education from each one of my educators, <laughs> right? So. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so um, are there certain habits that you do on a daily basis that keeps you on top of your game? That you, you know, you know, productivity wise, that um, you could share. I uh, I meditate. Okay, I work out, um, and I just try and find ways to kind of turn off uh, my head. So for me, it's meditation and and working out. But for it, it can really be anything that you decided to be and you have time. At a certain point in time, I was swimming. Then I don't have any, any pool next to me right now, so I can't. Uh, but I think in order for you not to burn down, you have to find your way to reset once a day. Okay. Well, that's good advice. Um, so the last couple of questions. Um, when you were 15, did you want to be an actor? Like, did, were you, did you think of yourself as a CEO of a tech company or did you have other dreams? Do you think you're going to be a, a you know, big stay in acting or did you, you know? I, I, I can honestly tell you I didn't have any one thing that I wanted to do when I was 15 and I don't have any one thing that I wanted to do today. <laughs> I have a thousand <laughs> things that I still want yeah. to do and for some reason I still believe I'm going to, to do know, be able to do everything. Okay. Listen, that's, that's what I'm doing the podcast. Something I want to do and you just said it doing it. Um, do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, I uh, listen a lot to uh, to a couple of podcasts about uh, design. Uh, there are some more known things, but uh, if uh, somebody haven't heard about yeah. 99% Invisible, then uh, go ahead and, and, and listen to it. It's uh, it's amazing when you need to think about design thinking. What, what, the name of the podcast is? 99% no, Invisible. Oh, 99. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, and are you reading any books now or no? Uh, I'm always reading books. Uh, at the moment, I'm reading uh, uh, the new Noach Harari book, The 21 uh, Thoughts About the 21st Century, okay. uh, which is amazing. But um, if, uh, if somebody is looking for an interesting read about the scientific approach to marketing, 
then I would consider reading uh, Martin Lindstrom. Uh, he has a couple of books, uh, one called Brandstorming, and the other is called Biology, B-U-Y-ology. Mm-hmm. And he's really an interesting dude that uh, kind of found the, uh, the connection between neuroscience and marketing and how they interact. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great, you know, having the the time to learn more about what you're building, where you came from. And for those listening, make sure you uh, go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Every uh, rating counts and helps. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.